You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Father, thank you for this day. Um, Thank you for your protection, uh, for your provision, for all that we have from you. Um, Lord, hide us in yourself so that we would be safe and secure, clean, um, uh, okay. Um, Help us in every way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, good morning. Almost as quickly as we started, we move towards an end. Thanks, Eric. Be good. Short, relatively short, five-week series in Galatians. Not a, not by any means, a, an exposition of the whole book. Even though it's um, six chapters in five weeks, it's it's a dense, dense chapters. My preface each week. I don't mean to do this, but uh, uh, when I woke up early Saturdays, we spent some time uh, on Saturday mornings thinking. I was like, okay, I think I'm a little bit better in terms of coming into the text, I felt like I was kind of ahead of the game. And then I started rereading, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's just, it just makes me a pygmy. I mean, I just feel so small in this text. Um, I mean, it just, I've, I've fallen, I guess to say one way, I've fallen in love again with the, the, the book of Galatians. It's one of my favorites. And I just come into it and just keep finding this other resonance and another layer that kind of pulls out. So I thought, you know, as a way of... of uh, of, uh, of coming into this morning, um, trying to make sense even of my own Saturday. Uh, what are we doing here? Um, what, what's happening to me? Is another way because again, the the genesis in some ways of this series, um, not of the book of Galatians, just of why I was kind of interested in coming back in into it, is I was thinking about the um, like all of us, kind of the events of the past year, everything that's going on in twenty twenty, so many different things which are trying to define us and tell us who we are and why we are who we are and and then importantly how we came to know that. Um, Galatians is a great text for that. Uh, and then it spun me to um, uh, as I've said each time, I like to praise passivity wherever we can. Uh, the, the, the throwaway line in, in chapter 4, which we're actually not going to look at directly, where Paul is talking to the people in Galatia that he's wondering, who has bewitched you? Who has, be, uh, who has charmed you? And who, uh, uh, who has now hindered you? We're going to hear that today. In the middle of all that, he says, well, now that you know God, then he backs it up and he says, rather are known by him. And then he goes through and says more. And that's just those words charm my ear. Not so much that I know God um, with the emphasis on me because how so often I feel like to know God. I mean, even in my sober moments, I'm like, that's almost, I mean, why would I do that? Why would I even deign to think that I would know God? I mean, just at a categorical or definitional level for me as a finite creature to try to know the infinite or to, to, uh, to approach that which is God. I mean, that, that seems presumptuous at the very best. Um, uh, and this phrase, nothing you are known by God, and then just letting that water continue to roll down the hill. And I came, just some notes. What are we doing here? What's happening here? So we engage the text of Galatians in these five short weeks. It goes back to the same word, that Scripture is living and active, um, that this is uh, the actual word of God. And we think about that. Um, 
I might have been with you, Fontaine. Who was I talking to this week? It was a wholly different uh, context. You know, we say it, and I, I've said it my entire life. Um, uh, at the end of a reading, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, but to slow down and, and, and to think about what's being stated there. This is the word of God. This is God's speech. God's speech. This is God speaking. Not even just in the past, but this is the word of God. Um, that's a phenomenal thing. Because then we bring the past and the present right into it. Uh, scripture being living and active, not dead and, and once active, but now living and active. This is the voice of the one who, in fact, acts by speaking. Um, let there be light. Peace. Be still. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Be opened. Etc., etc., etc. And that Scripture speaks by making some important nouns verbified. This is kind of a thing that I'm kind of working out through. I know it sounds funny, and this gets a little bit Greeky and geeky. I know that, but that's okay. It's kind of fun to go there. Um, the speaking God, what's he doing? You know, trying to find different ways to say this, both to myself and then to share it. He's verbing us. The speaking God is verbing us. Why? Because verbs are those parts of speech which are the action ver- action words. Remember that? I learned it in first grade. The action words. And God is verbing us. He's doing something to us. And this is where these, these, these nouns are verbed, uh, where you can be verbified or wordified. Uh, because, like, especially the word justify um, uh, is to righteousify. There's the noun righteous. And when we're justified by God, we're righteousified. We're made righteous. And so he tries to say that. And there's other words, too. This isn't the, the end of it. To preach is to gospelify. Um, to, I gospeled you with the gospel because there is no other gospel, he says. Um, I gospeled you. I, 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 I spoke. And in the speaking, I did the deed. I gave you the good news. I didn't just announce it to you. I did it to you, I am doing it to you, and I will do it again. Or to credit or to reckon, this is Fitzsimmons Allison's great word to me, um, to us, it's in his books. Uh, uh, to, to reckon or to credit or to count, you know, he's, you know, it was counted to him as righteous and it was counted to him as faith, is to word. I mean, even what we're talking about at sort of a semantic level of words, the logos of God, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. And that word gets picked up. And you see it as a verb, logizomai. And and now the speaking God words you. And in the same way that the speech of God does something. Let there be light. And then there was nothing, and then there was something. Before there was nothing, and now there is something. And he words us, logizomai. And in that crediting, in that counting, in that reckoning, in that imputing is the fancy word for it. The thing which is spoken happens. And then another one, which is very important and we'll keep hitting this. Remember, faith, I always want to attach to gift so that no man may boast. And how do we how do we make sense of that? Because it feels like we're justified by faith. Okay, so there it is. I need to somehow generate this faith. I need to, in my rational faculties or my cognitive skills or whatever else it is 
to, uh, to see the good and refuse the evil and choose ye this day who I'm going to serve. And even that's not it. That whatever we have, we don't count. It's not worded on my own credit. Um, it's worded to us. And the word faith and belief are also tied in this sort of noun verb, this verbifying sort of work that the word has on us where uh, I am uh, to believe is to be faithified. Um, so when I say I believe in Christ, I believe, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's like, Lord, I have been faithed. Please faith me. That's what he's saying. Uh, Lord, I have been faithed by you. Um, the word has happened to me, and it's come. And why does this matter? Because we can see, because I can see and experience that the words of God become the work of God in my life. The word does the work. Um, and it comes to me afresh every year. Well, coming up on Christmas, and even, you know, I didn't find it. It found me, the word, uh, this week. Um, here we are in the season of Advent coming, um, Christ coming. And it's going to be right there until faith came. But now it has come. We're going to see that in just a moment. That here we experience the words of God becoming the work of God. And so that makes sense of you who know God, rather are known by him because the word of God then does the work of God, that I would know him. And we talked about that the first week, which is just something so simple but so important to remember, um, that God unhinged from Christ, uh, it is not necessarily good news that he knows your name. You may not be happy God unhinged from Christ has a personal interest in you. That might be terrible. <laughs> that might be awful you might actually die. Um, uh, but God hinged in Christ, clothed, as it were, veiled in flesh. I think that's what I'm going to call my class in a couple, a couple of weeks when we look at, at, um, uh, at Christmas stuff. Uh, when veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, um, now we have the beginning of what could be good news. Well, okay, um, if, if, if that's the man, Christ Jesus, who came to die for me, who gave himself for me. Remember, Christ for sinners. We're going to see that again today. Hey, Libby. Um, then that might be good. Um, so all this is the word of a, a way of understanding that Scripture is the sound of God speaking. It's something that simple. It's almost the child's question. What does God sound like? And you can say, let me tell you. You know, in the beginning, God created in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Um, for I am convinced. All this is the sound of God. This is God speaking. Um, the Bible then is His voice. Reading is listening. And I hope, humbly, that a class like this might be a hearing aid. And I'm borrowing that image. I didn't make any of this up. That it's just a hearing aid that it's a way of amplifying um, uh, the sound of God speaking. Not that he needs me, not that he needs you, but yet this is how he, this is how he works. Um, jars of clay, um, uh, uh, unholy vessels, um, and yet he gives uh, his speech, his speech through fallen lungs and tonsils and voice boxes and everything else, even masks, 
Um, that's what he does. This is how he's working it. Um, good word from Zach today that uh, what all of your anxiety and all that, remember, God's still God. He's still doing what he's doing. He still is who he is. Um, here, peace. Be still. The gift given. So that was just me making sense of these Himalayas that I find myself again just wonderfully. Um, any thoughts? Again, like to leave plenty of room for actions or questions if you'd like. Um, then let's circle back. Um, don't think uh, we're going to take the whole uh, of what's on there today. I'd like to get through at least close to verse 6, um, but also wanted to back up a little bit to um, to hear the first part, the last part of chapter 3. So that's the end of chapter 3, and then we jump over and get to uh, to chapter 5 here. So I want to read that, and then uh, then we'll pick it apart and make some sense. We'll look again a little bit at Lucas Cranach, the painting we were last time, but then also Augustus Toplady's great hymn, Rock of Ages, um, with this idea of putting on Christ, um, that we're putting on Christ, the rock of ages, and so as it were, hiding ourselves in um, uh, being hidden uh, would be a better way to put it, in Christ. So, um, so verse, starting at verse 23 in chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So just to kind of go back to where we were, um, like I spent a lot of time here, um, or where we did last time, um, painting, which is in a church in Wittenberg, Germany, um, where Martin Luther was was sort of at the, the center of it all for a few years in the, the, the early 16th century along with some others. And that's Luther preaching with his hand on the Bible from the Word out into the world, out into the congregation where he resolves to know nothing among the gathered people of God except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Christ Jesus who, who's, who was crucified before your very eyes, as Paul said, in, uh, at the beginning of his letter. And that's what he's doing. He's bringing that back out. Christ Jesus, who was crucified before your very eyes, and he materializes right there in the midst of the sermon. You can tell that because of this really small piece. It's offset 
The artist didn't put it in the middle. So it's not there. It's not like, oh, look, they put something in the church and they all sort of sit around. It's there. It's the word event where uh, the speaking act of God brings that which uh, is spoken into being. But here's the part to sort of center on is is the the, the crucified Christ, um, especially the riven uh, uh, puncture, the fissure, the cleft, as it were. Um, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Um, That's where we're headed here in the next few minutes. Uh, Because to put that into the context, that's all my slides, um, of Augustus Toplady's great hymn. Um, Well, we'll get there in just a minute. But that's, you know, I like to have something you can look at while I'm talking in case you need to zone out just for a second. So get some relief. You can check this out. And that's no, it doesn't bother me at all. That's why I did it. uh, but coming back into this, this, these mountains here in this part of Galatians, um, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Stop. Um, for as many of you, um, whosoever of you is really what he wants to say there, um, uh, who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I think there's a little wordplay going on here between baptized and put on um, it's kind of a specific word. It's kind of interesting. It means like to sink into uh, clothing, this idea of being put on. It's the same word which is used elsewhere where it talks about like the sun sinking into the sea when it goes down. It's kind of this, this, uh, this image-laden word. And then to baptize, of course, is to plunge something beneath the water. Um, they found a, po- no, a recipe for how to make a pickle. I got this backwards one time when I was talking to newcomers. I got to get this right. The difference between bapto and baptismo, which is really interesting. So if you take a cucumber, got that right this time, and you bapto it into hot water, you just dip it into hot water, what comes out? It's still a cucumber. It's still hot, but it's still a cucumber. But if you take that cucumber and you baptizo it into, what is it, vinegar, I guess, um, into like a warm vinegar solution, and you do the right things and all that stuff, and you bring it out, what comes out? It's a pickle. So the difference between bapto and baptismo, there's a quality. From the outside looking down, it may be the same thing. Oh, they're just taking this vegetable and dipping in the liquid. Bapto, baptismo. But those of you who are baptisoed into Christ, who were dipped under the water, who were dipped under the blood, who were dipped under the fountain. And he pulls all this in. It's just so many images here that, uh, that Top Lady brings to us. Those of you who were baptistoed into Christ and taken under so that when you came back out, you were something else than you were before. New creation. That's where he's going to go as well in chapter 6. Um, do you not know you've, 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 you've put on Christ? If you were sunk beneath the waters and beneath his blood, don't you know you also sunk into clothing? Then sunk into Christ is the image that he wants to put here. And that's what took me to Rock of Ages. I mean, what a great image. This, uh, the crushing word of God's law. Um, is not my word like a fire and a hammer which breaks rocks to pieces, saith the Lord. Um, it comes out of Jeremiah. Uh, and it was the will of God. This is, this is the part in the Good Friday service out of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage, that always just 
undoes me every Good Friday. It was, <laughs> cry right now. It was the will of God to crush him. This is an amazing statement. It was the will of God to crush Christ Jesus, to take him beneath the waters and the flood, whether that was there uh, with Noah or crossing the Red Sea or our own deaths. It was the will of God to crush him so that he would take that crushing, which was meant for us, and we would be spared. For the righteousness of Christ will be worded to my account. And I think all this, I mean, he had so much more. This is a laden hymn. I mean, hear this idea of being hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what Paul said elsewhere in Colossians. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, This idea of being hidden, Exodus 33, where Moses says, Show me your glory. Again, not necessarily a good thing to say, unhinged from Christ. And the Lord in his mercy said, Moses, you don't know what you're asking. No one can see me and live. You know, it would... Um, But here's what I'm going to do for you, Moses, because you're mine and I love you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to place you in a cleft, in the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to hide you there. And then I'm going to pass by. I'm going to put my hand over your eyes so you can't see me. But then when I pass by, I'll take my hand away so you can see my backside. Now, that's an unusual thing. I'm talking about this part. So you can see my backside. Um, Won't go there, but this idea of God's action. I have taken you and placed you in a safe place so that now you will be okay because I am a God of mercy and I will give this gift to you. Top lady's got all this in mind because this is supposedly, it's probably not true, um, but this came out of kind of a legend um, that he was uh, actually near Bristol, England, where I spent some time, um, sort of that part of England where he was a curate and a thunderstorm came up and, uh, and he took refuge here in, what's it called, Barrington Combe, um, Burrington Combe uh, in, the, in this part of, uh, of southwest England where he was safe. And it, struck him, hey, this is a really good metaphor. Maybe I'll, I'll write a hymn about it. And he wrote, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. That's, of course, Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church, you know. Um, rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And here's a verse that I really wanted to highlight. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So, cleft, pierced for our transgressions, as, uh, uh, again, Isaiah put it, um, cleft, 
cleaved, opened, where his side was, uh, was opened. And there in his wound we are hidden. Um, there in his blood we are safe. Uh, there we can find refuge. And refuge from what? From God. <laughs> from the wrath of God, um, rightly understood, which will crush you um, and which crushed our Lord. Uh, and took him to, to, to hell, not just to death, but three days into hell. Um, uh, the law of God, which breaks uh, a rock to pieces, um, uh, hidden in Christ, cleft for us, we are safe from the law's crushing power and from the crushing wrath of God. Um, with all that in mind, it sets us up uh, to verse 28. Um, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Um, it's almost this... Uh, it's not an anticlimax. It's just the next step. Now, hidden in Christ, in God, now it's not that you're all the same. Um, there's, 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 there's Eric, there's Mary Kay, there's Cumby. It's not that we're all now sort of this monolithic, that word's back in the news, isn't it? So mon the monoliths that are showing up everywhere. This monolithic, um, uniform, uh, uh, no distinctiveness. But now you're all part of the same, now you're all in the same family. It's actually, you're the same person but of many parts, um, unified without these denominations of male or female or slave or free or, uh, or, or, or anything else which divides. Um, now, here comes the reunification of being hidden in Christ, in God. For if we are Christ's, then we're Abraham's offspring. That's what Paul's going back to again and again and again. Remember, before the circumcision part, that's what he wanted to say, that we're heirs to the promise for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. Uh, so let me hit stop. Um, thoughts there, whether it's Rock of Ages and the, the cleaving, um, being safe and secure, and then being brought into this new identity, this new creation. We'll, we'll talk more about that, especially next week. Probably coming back to 328 a little bit, but... Give a chance for some pause here. I think it's fascinating that this cliff, I always thought of, he hid underneath the cliff, if you read the Pilgrim's Progress. Mm hmm. Yep, that's right. The thing that goes over. I mean, to... That's sort of mixing metaphors and the Bible plus what it does. Yeah, yeah. But it strikes me that I always thought the cliff is hiding under something, but we're fully hidden. We've it. Yeah, that's right. So, All the way in. That's just a retired guy talking. That's good. That's yeah, good. That's nope, nope. Not. Well, cleave is a really interesting word. I mean, it's like flammable and inflammable mean the same thing. To cleave and cleave mean the opposite. You can cleave something and split it, or you can cleave something and it's it's right. joined together. And so when you hear, you know, like in marriage. Uh, uh, teachings a lot to leave and cleave and I was like what do you mean by that and I was like oh that's to like to leave your parents and then cleave each to the other as in sort of be you know 
be fused together. Um, but a meat cleaver doesn't do any fusing, it, it breaks apart. Um, so it's an interesting word. You've got to say, which, which way are you using cleft? Um, so. But in this Google definition, it says um, to cleave is actually a natural line, or like in the grain of the wood. It's good, yeah. Yeah. You can talk about a, like a cleft palate, which is just a natural line that would be an unnatural one because um, it wouldn't be there. But what if this part of our face is called? You, would, you could call that a cleft. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's, it's a, I did a little bit of that too, kind of as some, some etymology of it, and it's kind of interesting to see where that goes. But um, let's continue. Um, uh, just kind of moving through the rest of chapter, this part of chapter five. Um, let me reread one through six. Um, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, Paul wants to say slowly, look. I, Paul, say to you, so he's really wanting some emphasis here. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what's going on here? This whole idea of freedom um, and where Paul wants to sort of interrupt and say, look, I, Paul, he puts his mark on it again. Um, And then getting to this place that uh, he devalues both circumcision and uncircumcision. So he's, he's an equal opportunity offender here. Um, neither of these, star upon ours, or you have your star removed, the old Dr. Seuss story, neither of those count for anything. Devaluing everything, the only thing that matters. The one thing, remember that from last week, is faith, which works or expresses itself through love, or as love, depending on how you translate that. So that's where we're headed. For freedom, Christ has set us free. There's a declaration and then an imperative. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Picking apart the words, give you some images here. For freedom, not to be entangled, not to be bound, not to be obligated. Um, It is for that uh, that Christ has set us free. Circular reasoning, guilty as charged, so would say Paul. Yes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did Christ set us free? For freedom, so we could be free. It's just that simple. He won't say, this is what I'm doing. This is what, not I, but Christ has done. He wants you to be free. Free in what way? Free from the crushing weight of the law and free from the fear and the despair that my death is ahead of me. Remember, that's where he's been this whole time. We remember uh, uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, especially 2. Looked at that the second week. For I, for it is no longer I who live, um, for I have been crucified with Christ. Um, and uh, the life I now live, I live by faith uh, in the one who gave himself for me. So this idea that the I who was living is now dead. What does that mean? Now I'm free to move around the cabin. (laughs) 
remember that image from the that 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 video that I couldn't find anymore. I can't find anymore of of uh, ladies and gentlemen. I have bad news. This is your captain speaking. We've lost power. There's no hope. We're all going to die. And everybody starts having a party. That's the freedom that Paul wants to sort of put in here. It is for freedom. Freedom from the fear of the law, sin, and death. It will have no longer any power over you. Um, I don't think he's talking here about civil liberties or moral license or any other sort of freedom like that. He's talking about the ultimate freedom from the weight of the law and the wrath of God. That's the context that he's here, which we just sort of expanded with the, with the idea of Rock of Ages. Freedom, Christ has set us free. And now, stand firm, therefore. Because who's he talking to? He's talking to, as, as, uh, as the one person said, the dear idiots of Galatia. My dear idiots of Galatia. Stand firm. Stay here. You don't need to move. There's no second step that you have to make. There's, you don't have to regress or anything else. All the, the bewitching and the hindering and the other charms that people are going to come to you, stand firm uh, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Definite passive voice here. Um, do not submit. Do not be entangled again uh, in, a, in a yoke. Don't put your neck in you know, a yoke, the, the wooden apparatus that connects. Then it probably would have been oxen. Um, or, uh, or cows or horses or mules or something else like that. So there would be a team that could multiply the power as they pull through. Don't get entangled in a yoke of slavery again. And then as he sometimes does, or at least I hear Paul saying this, he, as he's dictating or writing, he's probably dictating, he, uh, he sort of interrupts himself and says, Look, which is the, uh, uh, the scripture speaks that way. Behold, look, you know, verily, verily. It's like, these sort of word signals. It says like, look, I, Paul, did you forget who I am? I mean, I, Paul, the person that came and gave you the gospel the first time, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage. King James says no benefit. And I like that word to you because benefit puts it in the gift language. Um, if, if you put yourself under the law, even if you think that's a good thing, that's what the Pharisees did, and Paul was a Pharisee. Well, if one is good, then it must be eight would be really good, right? So let's just sort of keep layering things on. Paul says, no, that is nullifying the grace of God in Christ's death. If you add to it or take it away, then you're saying what God did wasn't enough, or God had an idea, but I'm going to finish it. Anything like that is to nullify the grace of God in Christ's death. Uh, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is still obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. And here I think of, um, especially John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, severed from me, severed from Christ, you can do nothing. You've lost your locomotion. You've lost your power. You've lost your source. There's no nutrition. Now that you're severed from Christ, if you would do that, then there's no way for the you know, nutrients to be brought up through the roots, to come up through the trunk, to go out into the branches, and eventually to produce fruit. This is where we're not going to go there, but this is where Paul's headed. 
at the end of this chapter is the great and rightfully great uh, and well-known piece of the fruit of the Spirit. He's really going to sort of take this image, this idea, and run with it. That the fruits of the flesh are obvious. You know, we've all got those. Inver, strife, murder, jealousy, fits of rage, etc. and so forth. But the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, joy, gentleness, kindness, etc. Um, if you're severed from Christ, if you're cut off, um, uh, then uh, you have no benefit. If you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. And if you've fallen away from grace, you've fallen towards this idea of the law. And what is that? He wants to say, not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That was chapter 2. A work of the law is Christ plus anything else. And he wants to say again and again and again and again, if you fall away from grace, it means you fall towards Christ plus. And there is no plus. It's only Christ. Solus Christus. Christ alone is the only one. He's going to come back and make this a really hopeful word. But right now it's a, it's a word of like, oh, I was doing that, wasn't I? I was adding to the cross of Christ, to the crucified Christ who was before my very eyes, uh, crucified for me. I've fallen away from grace. And now he says, watch this change in language here. Up to now, in from 2 to 4, it's been you. I, Paul, say to you that if you be no advantage to you, and I testify uh, that you are severed from Christ, you, would be you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness. Paul changes the uh, the language suddenly. And I'm I'm not I don't have great clarity on this. I sat with that for a while yes, yesterday. Um, I think it's just Paul saying like you know, look, I'm speaking to you, but I'm talking to me. Um, we call this simul justus et peccator sometimes. At once righteous and sinful at the same time. And Paul knows that he's preaching to himself and would until the end of his life calling himself even the chief of sinners. Um, and he says, look, through the Spirit. I'm not sure. I didn't look. I'm not sure that's the first time he's mentioned that because now it's going to be a lot about the Holy Spirit for the rest of the book. For through the Spirit, by faith, whoop, whoop, gift, 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 gift. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And here's, maybe this is a good way to end. Um, uh, Advent, which has this pregnancy, this sense of waiting, the season that we're in right now, waiting for Christmas. What it means, as we know, is just coming. You know, the Advent of uh, the first and second Advent, the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And now going back up into the very beginning, we skipped over these at the first. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We looked at this last week, imprisoned until the coming faith coming advent so then would be revealed so then the law was our guardian until christ came advent um, in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come advent um, the sense of waiting and arrival and we'll wait again for his second coming and his final arrival this whole idea that christ um 
has come and will come again. Christ uh, gives and is given. Um, the gospel announces and it also gives. The gospel is an announcement that Christ Jesus died for sinners. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Look, I, Paul, tell you again. Behold, hear ye, Christ Jesus died for sinners. The announcement. But then it's also, and this is a whole speech of God, which does the word of the, the works of God. It also gives. The words actually give something. Christ Jesus died for you and for me. Advent, coming every day. Book of Galatians is a book of Advent where Christ comes again and again and again. This idea of being turned, repented, uh, that's another one of those wordplay words where, where we don't repent nearly as much as we are repented. We don't turn our minds and our hearts as God turns us back to him every day as we are baptized, as it were, into Christ's death daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And we find ourselves graciously turned and hidden back into the fissured side of our Lord, um, who was cleft for me, um, who was uh, pierced for my transgressions, who was crushed so that I wouldn't be, who died so that I may live. Um, it's just the gospel. It's the same old story. Um, pluck, 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 the one string. Um, and yet it comes afresh on my ear each, each week, each, each, each day, each hour. Um, so Advent, this idea that Christ will come. Um, and I'll say verse 6 because that's a, it's a great one. Um, yeah, I'll say verse 6. That'll be going for next week. Any, any thoughts? Big, small, little, big... May I pray? Lord, uh, open our ears and open our eyes to, to hear you and to see you, um, to behold the wonder of your, your graciousness to us. Um, uh, Lord, strengthen us where we are weak. Um, restore us where we have fallen. Um, and in all things, uh, uh, love us with a love that is, uh, is far too far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Um, let your gospel do its work upon us, we humbly ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. See you all next week. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.